Thanks, John. His name means laughter. And I think it's appropriate, laughter, because as you look at the circumstances of Isaac's birth, you can't help but laugh. You know the story you heard Kim tell part of it. Do you remember the promise, though? God had called Abraham to leave his country from his home in Ur and travel to the land that was promised to him, Israel. And that God would make him into a great nation and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We read that covenant, that promise last week in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the hinge of all of Genesis. And so we read these words, Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we talk about how we, the church today, uh, and through Abraham, we are blessed to be a blessing. That is our calling. We have been blessed to be a blessing. This promise of God, Abraham walked in throughout his life. And over and over again, God confirms this promise and this covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's faith grew throughout his life as he learned to to believe these promises of God. Now, like all of us, his faith at times was strong and at other times his faith was weak. Uh, His faith didn't just have a steady upward growth. It was up and down just like all of us. He was normal. There were mountaintop moments and deep valleys. And Abraham lived a long life. And he had seen the fulfillment of the promise of land and prosperity. He was living in the promised land and he had become wealthy over his long life. He was truly blessed. But there was still one part of the covenant that Abraham hadn't yet seen fulfilled. And if I wonder, and I wonder if sometimes in the night, Abraham looks up at the stars and remembers back to that night when God had him go out, look up into the night sky and count the stars. And God promised Abraham that he would have offspring just as many as the stars. A promise of family that would fill the earth and bless all the nations of the earth. What a promise. And Abraham believed the promise. He was sure that he would have a son. But there was a problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't have any children. And they weren't getting any younger. So they took matters into their own hands. Sarah had a servant girl named Hagar, and she told Abraham to sleep with Hagar, and maybe she would have a son that would inherit the promise. Now to us, that seems crazy, but we talked about culture, didn't we? This was their culture. Sarah's servant girl would have a child, and that child would be basically Sarah's child. And indeed, Abraham had a child with Hagar, a son named Ishmael. But God told Abraham, no, the promise is through you and Sarah. But many years passed, over a decade, and no son was born. And there was a problem, 99 problems to be exact, because Abraham was 99 years old. How was God going to fulfill that promise? When they were so old, how was God going to fulfill the promise? 
And God came to Abraham in a vision when he was 99 years old. And he reiterated the terms of the covenant to him. And at 99 years of age, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Ancestor of a multitude. That's what Abraham means. And his wife's name is changed from Sarai to Sarah, which means princess. And the impossible happened. Sarah became pregnant and the promise was fulfilled. A son was born, Isaac. Laughter. Everyone laughed. (laughs) They laughed. It was unbelievable how God had kept his promise, even when it seemed there was no chance that it was impossible. We serve a God who can make the impossible possible. We serve a God who is faithful to his covenant promises. And it says that Abraham's faith grew. And then we get to the very next chapter. Chapter 22 of Genesis. John read it just a second ago. Good job. Genesis chapter 22. It starts out. After these things, God tested Abraham. I don't like those words. I don't know about you. Anything that starts out with that, and God tested, fill in the blank. I don't like that. But it's a reminder to us that faith involves testing. Otherwise, it's not faith. Correct? Faith inherently involves testing. It isn't really faith if we aren't tested. Our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ involves testing of our faith. There are many challenges and ups and downs and missteps over our lives. And there are also tests from God. And God is testing Abraham. Will Abraham trust God? This is the question. And as we read the text, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Will we trust God? This is where we connect the dots of the story of Genesis to our story. Will we trust God? That's the question. Will we trust? Now, as the reader of the text, we know this is a test. This is only a test. But Abraham did not know that this was a test. He had no idea this was a test. I have a really difficult time with Genesis chapter 22. I don't really like this text at all. It is an absolute horror to me. I don't even like to think about it. If we tore it out of our Bibles, I'd be okay with that. But we have to take the whole text. And as a father, this text disturbs me. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountaintops that I shall show you. The son of laughter, the son of promise, the son whom in whom all the world will be blessed, this son born in your old age, this son whom you love, offer as a burnt offering. It's a fairly straightforward command. Take, go, offer up. It's a straightforward command, like most of God's commands. They're pretty straightforward. But it ain't easy. Not at all. Abraham knows what a burnt offering is. In the ancient world, for Abraham, this was not some foreign concept. He would know exactly what he meant. I would be second-guessing, saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? 
A burnt offering means that you would take an animal, you would cut its throat, dismember it, and then the body parts arranged on a fire and it would be completely consumed in the flames as a sacrifice on the altar. That's what a burnt offering is, just so we understand, just so we know the context here. This was the horror that Abraham is facing. And as I said, this isn't something beyond the scope of Abraham's understanding. Both the country he came from, Ur, and the country he's living in, Canaan, practiced, the people of the land practiced human sacrifice. This was not a foreign concept. They practiced sacrificing children on an altar. And you have to remember the law of God had yet to be given to the people of God that forbid human sacrifice and especially the killing of a firstborn son. The law ain't given yet. When's the law given? Over here. Moses, right? So we still have a ways to go. That's in Exodus. We're still in Genesis. This is still Abraham. He's still wondering. So the question of whether this God that Abraham had been following most of his life would actually want a human sacrifice had not yet truly been answered. Think about that. But what does the text say? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him. And his son Isaac, he cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. And later it says it was a three-day journey to the place. Three days. Can you imagine as a father knowing what is to come and having to endure three days of this? Isaac had to have known something's going on. Something is up with dad. I wouldn't be able to conceal my dread and grief. I'm sure Isaac can sense some deep gloom in his father's eyes as well. And in fact, Isaac asked his dad, where is the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham replies, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Abraham's faith is something to marvel at. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament comments on this as well. We read in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, these words. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promise was ready to offer up his only son of whom he had been told. It is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, at this point in his life, completely trusted and believed that God would fulfill his promise in effect, he would raise his child back from the dead. So they get to the mountain. Abraham leaves the servants and the donkeys and they lay the wood, it says, on the back of Isaac as they ascend to the top to make the sacrifice. And Abraham takes the knife and the fire for the altar. And there is a, a Jewish midrash called the, the Genesis Rabbah, written somewhere between three and 500 AD. You know what a midrash is? Midrash is a, a Jewish commentary on the scriptures. It's teaching on the scriptures uh, from the Jewish perspective. Uh, not Christian necessarily, it's Jewish. But there's this Jewish Midrash, it's fascinating, uh, that's talking about this text. And in this Midrash, it comments on what is happening with Isaac. And again, this is Jewish, not Christian. And it, it states that Isaac 
with the wood strapped to his back was like a condemned man carrying his own cross. Isn't that fascinating? And the text says, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. That's tough. Now, don't you wonder what's going through Isaac's head at this time? The son of promise, the son of laughter, allows his father to bind him and place him on the altar to be sacrificed. This undoes me. Now, we don't know how old Isaac is, but most likely he is not a boy. He is rather a young man. Many think he could be as old as 37 years old. We just don't know how old he was. He's old enough to put the pack of wood on his back and walk up the mountain. But it would have been easy for Isaac to overpower his father and run away. But Isaac trusted his father. I'm amazed at Abraham's faith, but I'm also amazed at Isaac's faith as well. Abraham couldn't have offered Isaac without Isaac's consent. And it says that Abraham took the knife to strike the blow. Horrid. I cannot, did I tell you I don't like this text? I cannot imagine. This is scandalous. This is treacherous. This is beyond belief. In fact, a couple of months ago, as we're working through this series and I'm thinking about this story that I'm have to deal with in Genesis and I was having a running conversation in, in my head with God as I'm thinking about telling the story and the conversation went something like this. I can't believe that you would have done that, God. That you would have a father sacrifice his own son. This is beyond belief. This is scandalous. This is horrid. This is terrible. And answering in my mind, I could hear God say, you're right, it is. But that's the point. That's the point. It should make you recoil in horror. That's the point. It should shock you and make you uncomfortable. That's the point. It should unsettle you. That's the point because God said, that's what I did for you. That's what I did for you. It should horrify you. It should shock you. It is the scandal of our faith. Isaac's sacrifice is a shadow of the cross, a foreshadowing of what extraordinary measures that God will go through to save us. The Isaac story ends with the raised knife about to strike and an angel of the Lord intervening to stop him. Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God intervenes and God provides. The text says that a ram was caught in the thicket and Abraham took the ram and offered it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And Abraham called the place of the sacrifice the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. We see in this truth that the Lord who tests is also the Lord who will provide. I still don't like this text, but that's the point. The sacrifice of God offering himself on the cross should horrify us. 
it should also remind us of how broken we are and what evil we have allowed and committed, all of us. We are all guilty and it's horrifying to think. So if we don't take seriously our sin, we don't take seriously the amazing grace and love of our Savior, Jesus. A God who loves and provides grace, but a God who calls us to live in his truth as well. The Lord who tests is also the Lord who will provide. What an amazing God we serve. So what is your next step? You know, sometimes we forget the horror of the cross. I want you to meditate on that this week. We have the connect the dots out there, a great way for you to meditate as you're drawing a picture. (laughs) Maybe that's your next step. I would encourage you to reread Genesis chapter 21 through 28. I want you to reflect on the sacrifice of God for our salvation, for your salvation. How does that impact your everyday life? How are you living that out? On your Connect card, there's a space on the back where you can write down one of your next steps. If you want to do that, you can do that right now. Let us pray.